one of my phrases that I teach is get in, get out, get paid, right? So get in, get out, get paid so that you're not exposed to the long-term changes of the market. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property developer Nyong Yon. Growing up in the suburbs of Brisbane, to Vietnamese refugee parents, Nyong started his property journey quite young, owning three properties by the age of 21. You hear all about his backstory and the biggest lesson he's learned from the property development game. Born to Vietnamese parents, Nguyen identifies himself as being a property entrepreneur who specializes in deals that minimize the investment of his own money. My full name is uh, Tri Nguyen Duc Nguyen, which is what is on my uh, driver's license, but uh, I'm just known as Nguyen Nguyen. Uh, I'm Vietnamese. My parents came over from Vietnam in uh, 1975. Um, and look, I, I'm a, I'd call myself a property entrepreneur. So I do a handful of things related to property development, property education. Um, you know, from time to time, I'll do uh, land subdivisions as well as um, renovations. But my preference is definitely land subdivisions. I'm working on four projects at this point in time: uh, a childcare centre site, a large land subdivision of 30 odd lots, and two small land subdivisions. So, um, yeah, the majority of my deals are done using none of my own, using none of my own money. Uh, just settled the, the childcare centre site in Melbourne. I think purchase price is around about 840. Uh, I put less than $20,000 in myself to settle the site and if I need to, we can capital raise the rest. So yeah, a, a lot of these, uh, the sites that I do are using none of, or little of my own money and, and that's my specialty, being able to do deals with uh, very little of my own cash and be able to, to teach that to others as well. While there is no typical day for Nguyen, he often spends his time juggling his various businesses, investment projects, meetings and events. I manage a couple of businesses. One is a property development business. And like I mentioned before, um, being a property developer, I, I juggle a handful of projects. At the moment, I'm doing a, a large uh, land subdivision as well as a, a childcare centre and then two small uh, land subdivisions. So I'm managing you know, the process of acquisitions, the process of development and sales of those various projects, as well as I run a property education and seminar business. So you know, I, I juggle those two and we've got teams working on various projects and uh, basically I bring those projects out of the ground and to fruition and make them uh, profitable. So it's a uh, yeah, very, very busy day. Sometimes I'm in meetings with uh, town planners, engineers. Other times I'm talking to potential other guest speakers to speak at my events. Nguyen is able to handle all these tasks by leading groups of trustworthy teams that assist in all these ventures. It's a lot to juggle and I know for people, especially if you're working a job, um, it's hard to fathom what the capacity that a person has but it's taken me a while to be able to manage and lead people. So, for example, in my education business, I'll have, let's say, a half a dozen, team of about half a dozen. Some people are local, some people are overseas to be able to organize copyright, organize websites, organize guest speakers, organize my schedule. And at the same time, I've got a property team, um, a full-time acquisitions guy, a part-time virtual assistant, and um, engineers and town planners and surveyors and things like that, which are outsourced. So, I think the main thing to be able to keep things on track or moving forward, most of the time they're not on track um, because <laughs> they're delayed due, due to council more than anything else with, with development, is um, 
yeah, being able to manage teams and be able to communicate teams and, and ask for what you want and be able to train them as well. Because oftentimes that, that's the key distinction is you, you know what you want, but how do you communicate it in a way that other people can give it to you and, and be happy about it as well? Because sometimes you can you know, throw a tantrum and ask for what you want, but not necessarily get it. New and learned leadership skills and the importance of a team early on. When I was younger, in my late teens and early 20s, I had found myself a, a mentor and you know, I do a mentoring and training for others. But when I started out, I had my own, you could say, rich dad um, and he coached me. And one of the early things he told me to do was go do some multi-level marketing. And, and at that point in time, I was young and naive enough to basically uh, follow his instructions and through that training of multi-level, they taught, you know, sales skills and communication skills and personality types and, and how to lead people and how to do sales and, and things like that. So I believe that a lot of that fundamental training came from the early years of my life. And, and as I pushed forward with goals and dreams and things like that, I realized he was right. Now, a lot of the, the leadership skills and uh, personal, interpersonal skills with people are so critical uh, to get what you want because you've got to basically find out what they want because if you can give people what they want, you can get what you want. And it's a balancing act of, of you know, time, energy, uh, participation and being able to diligently pursue uh, your dreams. Growing up to refugee parents in Brisbane, Nguyen was originally set to go down a very different career path. I grew up in an area called Ipswich, which is uh, on the west side of Brisbane. Um, we grew up in Housing Commission. My parents were uh, Vietnamese refugees. Um, they met in Australia, actually, and, and they came over in around about 1975 after the fall of Saigon there. And yeah, so I, I grew up in a suburb called Carroll Park, which for anyone in Brisbane will know is a very industrial and, and rundown um, area. Um, yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to raise your kids there. Um, in, in the 80s, it was okay. It wasn't too bad, but yeah, definitely low or bottom socioeconomic part of town. And that's, you know, all my parents could afford being um, housing commission um, refugees. So um, yeah, that, that's how I grew up. And they encouraged me to study hard because obviously if I could get good grades, it meant that I could get a good job and, and get some financial security. So that was really much where, where I grew up. And um, the, uh, the unfortunate part of all that was that even though I did get good grades and uh, I wanted to become a doctor as per their advice uh, for a few years until I realised, yeah, that wasn't really what I wanted to do and that was where I hit the, the fork in the road uh, at the, around about the age of 19. At the same time, you know, I'd be going to a few seminars, not necessarily property, um, but business seminars, uh, multi-level seminars, share seminars, offshore managed fund seminars, anything I could go to. That was free pretty much. Um, <laughs> I realised that... Uh, I didn't want to become a doctor. It was a path that really conflicted with um, you know, the theory of Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad, cash flow quadrant, make money with money, rich don't work for money. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I really had to choose a path um, that was and reinvent myself. Despite finishing a science degree, he didn't end up going on to study medicine. I actually did um, go to uh, university and uh, I studied um, Bachelor of Science and I, I found that the more seminars and the more houses that I looked at, <laughs> the my grades started to drop and drop and drop. And um, I remember even my third year of my science degree, which I eventually received because I think the uh, University of Queensland felt sorry for me. Um, 
because I failed, I failed one of the subjects, biochemistry. I was out looking at houses the day before when I should have been studying, but my interest just wasn't there. And, and it was really, really tough. I remember, you know, talking to my parents halfway through the degree saying, this is not what I want to do and crying. And, you know, for, for, for me to cry, it, t- it took a lot. Um, I was so upset about the path and, and I just persisted to finish it off because I, I'm not one of those people who quit halfway through. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that one of the subjects I failed biochemistry, and they, they still gave me my degree. And but at the mean, while I was going through the seminar phase, um, I applied to um, be, still become a doctor through what's called the the, the GAMSAT, which is a test to be able to become a doctor. And I failed that not once but twice. So, um, you know, they talk about it wasn't meant to be. Well, I, I don't think it wasn't not meant to be as such. It was more so that I I was basically sabotaging myself from performing and um, killing off the, the opportunity and, and closing that door subconsciously anyway. So um, so either, even if I wanted to, I, I couldn't become a doctor. The, that door was shut. Um, and then I started to um, request and apply for the jobs uh, at, at some of the seminar businesses that, that I went to. So I applied for one job and I ended up becoming one of the employees. So much to his parents' dismay, he pursued what he was really interested in. Initially, I was a... Uh, customer of theirs for a year or so and then I end up becoming an employee of theirs and, and started to learn you know, about property on the inside because they were teaching it and then I was starting to learn it and, and that's pretty much my progression from uh, going to university, leaving university and working for a property education company and uh, leaving there and going to a property marketing company and learning the ins and outs of put and call options, small developments, construction, build contracts um, and within that two to three year time frame I'd learned enough and had enough courage and, and resources to be able to quit my job uh, and do property full-time. So wow, I'm, I know it's a bit of an accelerated story. Like many know, straying from your parents' wishes can be difficult, but it all turned out for the better in the end. Very much a, a tough time for me and definitely a tough time for them as well. I think they didn't um, really like the fact that it was so painful for me to, to be able to struggle through that because at, at high school I'd excelled and I was doing sports and music and had, had a lot on and was able to conquer all, so to speak, to, to a large degree uh, other than maybe a bit of um, yeah, overwhelm uh, at, at high school. But uh, I think they were more so relieved than anything else. As long, I think, uh, I recall a few years later when I was talking to them about that time in my life where I said, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Are you still proud of me? And they said, look, as long as you're not a drug dealer, uh, we don't care what you do, right? So I know, but at the time, it was a significant thing. I felt like I'd let them down, right? I really had to let them down. And you know, I'm not sure how you know, your parents are with yourself, um, with, with their you know, Asian beliefs and upbringing. But I believe that, um, yeah, parents at the end of the day, if they're uh, open um, to their kids, um, you know, performing and being happy, as long as they're, they're making money and as long as they're happy, I, I think, you know, well, when I mean making money, that they're prospering, they, they don't necessarily have to be the next Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. Um, I think, yeah, that, that's what my parents have resolved with myself and, and I can see that with my younger siblings as well because I, I was under very much a high-pressure environment at home growing up, but I found that as I grew up, my siblings, the pressure was take, taken a lot off them and maybe they saw that it was counterproductive, the high-pressure environment, um, whether it's on me or, or my siblings. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, as long as um, everyone was happy and healthy and, and productive and, and not doing you know, stupid stuff and sabotaging their lives and, and getting onto drugs and stuff and um, you know, dealing with gangs. So, yeah, because 
yeah, I believe, yeah, that that's how my, my parents were able to, to deal with it. And uh, these days they're, they're very happy as long as um, yeah, everybody's uh, moving forward and not doing stupid things. Nguyen had a fast-paced start to his property investment journey. I remember when I was working for the original, let's, let's say, property education company number one. Uh, I worked for them, I think, for one year. And I had a goal of, of buying 200 houses. I, I didn't get anywhere close to that. I think I bought three. Um, and working for them full-time, it allowed me to save up deposit. It allowed me to borrow money. And so the, for the first two properties that I bought in the Ipswich area, I used the, the principles that they were talking about, buying under market value, adding value via renovations, refinancing or, or selling or whatever. And, and so that was my experience using uh, working with that company the first uh, year that I was in the property market. Uh, I was very, very active and I bought one property, two properties, and then a third property within that time. Uh, after the second property, essentially, I'd run out of cash and serviceability. And so, the third one, I had to figure out how to do no money down. Despite not being able to purchase his third property on his own, Nguyen found a way. At the age of 21, on my third property deal, uh, I think it was in November 2001, I was 21 at the time, I bought my third property and it was a joint venture, no money down, and a guy named Simon had fully funded it. He was a, a Qantas, I think, mechanic at the time, and uh, he had a 65 grand income and he was able to fund a, a property that we bought, I think, for 85,000, oh, sorry, 67,000 and we on sold it for 85,000. So my, my point is that, yeah, the first three projects um, uh, in that process, I've learned how to do a deal using other people's money. And that was one of my constraints earlier on is how do you do deals after the, the bank um, lends you money and then you run out of money, which is a common problem that people have, especially when they want to grow and expand. Around the same time, he decided to move on from his first job working with the property education company. So from that, within that, after that first year, I bought three properties. Then, then I changed jobs, and the second company that I worked for had a different angle. They weren't um, property educators as such. They were um, they were property uh, real estate agents and property marketers to, to really put them in a box. So they, they talk. They had a finance company. They built. Uh, they had builders on board as well as um, acquisitions teams and, and things like that. So they moved somewhere between you know fifty and eighty properties a year. And within the two years that I worked with them, I learned a lot of things about you know, the bigger world of property, how to buy property, how to sell property uh, through instruments such as uh, put and call options, how to go to a developer and, and buy, uh, do a takeout, which is let's say they might have 20 apartments and they would do a bulk buy and, and get you know, 20, 30 grand off you know, five, 10 uh, properties, buy them in bulk under option and then on sell them with a 20 to 30 grand margin in there. So I learned about the instruments that you could buy property and sell property using none of your own money So because that's what they do. They, they secure properties under option, um, whether it's apartments, whether it's vacant land, and then they package them up so they were able to make money off other uh, developers and they'd buy them at wholesale and sell them at, at retail. So in yeah, during that two years, I really learned a lot. And even though I wasn't getting paid much, I was learning a lot and more than enough to be able to do it on my own. And in that two-year period, working with them. Coming up after the break, we'll learn about Nguyen's first big projects. I'd been, I was approached um, by my mentor. So my mentor at the time who told me to go do the multi-level back in my late teens was basically ready. Quitting his job at 23. I use that as a platform to be able to quit my job and, and do deals full time because I had a financial backer. As well as lessons learned from a bad investment. 
one of my phrases that I teach is get in, get out, get paid, right? So get in, get out, get paid so that you're not exposed to the long-term changes of the market. All that and much more coming up next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. After spending time learning what he needed to know in his first full-time job, he was ready to take on bigger projects. I'd been, I was approached um, by my mentor. So my mentor at the time who told me to go do multi-level back in my late teens was basically ready. Uh, I think I was you know, 23, 24 at the time to basically fund projects. And he basically proposed to me, said, cool, you're ready now to go do some projects. Uh, I've, I want to buy some property. And basically he was funding my projects 100%. And allowed me to yeah go buy a couple million dollars worth of property with a 50% stake using none of my own cash. So, so my point was that yeah, in that three-year process, first year working for the property education company, and year number two and three working for a property development and, and sales and marketing company, I built up the skills to be able to do deals not using none of my own cash and be able to um, get a funder as well to be able to fund my project. So, which is you know, very similar to what you're talking about in your situation where you've got potential investors and have uh, people finding uh, so all you need to do now is find deals so, and, and I was able to do that. Pretty soon, Nguyen was able to quit his job and focus on property full-time. I was working full-time and then part-time, I was out there finding deals um, for my business partner, Lee and you know, Lee and I, we don't do much in property anymore but we still have contact and I still manage some of his cash but yeah, since you know, that, that was basically a stage in my life where he was ready to and keen to go do deals and I use that as a platform to be able to quit my job and, and do deals full-time because I had a financial backer. He was able to do all this in the time before many people would even have finished their degree. 23 and a half, call it 24. So, it was December 10th, 2003. I was uh, 23, yeah, turning 24. Neil explains the timeline of how he managed to quit his job at 23. If you think about it, so when I was 18, I went to uni, so 1920, I started going to seminars when I think I was 19. So then I started working when I was 21, um, 22, 23. So yeah, so I'd only worked at a job three years. So I worked for one company when I was in my 21, when I was 21, and then the second company when I was 22, 23 and left halfway through, um, yes, at the end of that second year with them, so to speak. So, wow. yeah, so 18, 19, 20, I went to uni, three-year degree. 21, I was in the workforce um, for, for three years and I left around about the 23rd, 24th year of my life. So, um, it does sound, yeah, pretty quick. And looking back, and I, 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 I sometimes blink and go, geez, that was pretty crazy. But it was it was a reality because um, I'd work full-time uh, and around me was property that's all they talk about you wake up in the morning you talk about property you talk about finance and build contracts and um, settlements etc etc but then on weekends i'd go and, and look on saturdays i'd spend you know five six eight hours every saturday looking at houses and lunch times and mornings and after work so it became a bit of an obsession <laughs> um, and then at night you know you, you go you go and look at go to seminars with some encouragement this obsession turned into something a lot bigger I wasn't married, had no kids, no mortgages. Um, I just had had some real dreams. And um, at the time, I looked back and people were saying, Young, you're on the right track, keep going. I had no idea what they were talking about. I said, well, yeah, great. Thanks for your advice. But uh, I'm just yeah, having a good time and 
going hard and yeah, pretty gung ho at the time. And um, yeah, so I, I just really didn't know what I was able to or not meant to be able to achieve because I know a lot of people they, they feel that they have constraints on them, whether they've got kids or mortgages or limits. Um, but at that point in time, I didn't know what I could or couldn't or shouldn't have been able to produce at that age. Um, and yeah, that's coupled with a, with a lot of challenges, you know, because when I went, um, I grew very, very quickly and, and hit the GFC in 2007, 2008. I had a lot of projects that I was managing and, and some of them made money and some of them didn't. Uh, some of them lost money. And so the, the, my next round of, of learnings really um, taught me a lot of lessons. And, and that's what I do now is I teach uh, the lessons that I've learned so people can manage and um, be able to navigate uh, you know, bad times, tough times, uh, high interest rates um, in a way that's manageable. Um, so, and, and that's, um, yeah, I suppose that's a part of the beginning of my journey. Nguyen shares one of the hardest lessons he's had to learn from his journey with one of his worst investment decisions. I think one of the biggest highlights, I'd say it was one of the best learnings and the worst ever experiential, emotional times for me was, yeah, when we had uh, 20 odd blocks of land uh, under contract. And so, like I mentioned before, in that property development company that I worked for, they were putting uh, put and call options on property. So how that works is essentially you sign a piece of paper which says that you have the right to buy these properties and let's say at a wholesale discount, and but you also have the obligation to buy them. So you have the right to buy them and sell them. You buy them wholesale, sell them retail, and um, but if you don't sell them, you have to buy them. So it's called a put and call option. And, and I did that in 2007, April 2007, we secured 20 blocks of land at a wholesale discount. They were worth, call it, 54 and we'd secured them for 4.7. So there was about a, a 700 grand paper profit in there. And, and the market shifted during that time that they were developing it. It was off the plan and we secured it for 4.7. The market lifted. And then so we we're actually able to sell them on sell them for a million bucks clean uh, profit. So I sold them for 5.7. So myself, my business partner found buyers, secured 4.7, sold for 5.7. It was a great time in our lives where we started to spend money that hadn't hit our bank account yet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we made a million bucks on, on paper between us and started upgrading things like cars and offices and staff and wives. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't upgrade my wife. <laughs> um, my, my in-laws are, um, what do you call it? They're uh, Sicilian. So if you know anything about the mafia, uh, they're Sicilian, and uh, yeah, you don't want to mess with the Sicilians. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, we started spending money on, on debt and credit cards before the money hit our accounts. But things took a turn for the worst. And that was, um, yeah, very, very painful when the GFC came uh, a year or so later, 2008, 2009, and a lot of the contracts, a lot of these buyers that were pre-committed started to pull out of these contracts, and they were doing it legally because um, we had an 18-month sunset clause, which meant that if they hadn't been provided the block of land or they couldn't buy the block of land within that 18-month period, they would have essentially um, been able to pull out of the contract. And that's what they did. A lot of them pulled out. Um, but luckily, luckily, we were able to um, on-sell a lot of the blocks at cost to cover our $4.7 million commitment that we had. So, um, so uh, yeah, definitely a lot, a lot of learnings and very, very, very stressful time um, because if we weren't able to um, sell those blocks um, to, re to repay that commitment, essentially, we would have had to either buy them um, or sell them. But, yeah, if you can't buy them, you have to sell, uh, can't sell them. You have to buy them ourselves. And we just didn't have the cash. It was a very tough time to get any debt 
I won't say get any any funding from the banks or any capital from investors at that point in time. So, um, yeah, very very stressful time, and and you know, especially we expected to make a million bucks, and we end up making still 200k, which was a good profit, um, but yeah, it was a lot less than what we'd uh, anticipated. Um, to make and and so you know I'd even had booked a trip to the states and um, to Europe and and when we we're overseas you know, a lot of our contracts were falling over uh, while we were overseas and, and managing um, those settlements from overseas as they were crashing was very very hard um, especially with the time zones currency was you know it wasn't 80 80 cents in the dollars like 65 cents American yeah and so we yeah oh, really painful so everything that went wrong, went wrong. Um, but at the end of the day, we still made a profit on that project and lived to learn the lesson. And, and now the projects that I do are structured a lot differently and, and we aim to get in. One of my phrases that I teach is get in, get out, get paid, right? So get in, get out, get paid so that you're not exposed to the long-term changes of the market, interest rate rises, GFC type plays where people um, can potentially um, drop you know, the contracts. Um, so yeah, a lot of the trainings that we do these days uh, are centred around how we survived the GFC and were able to um, not be greedy and, and sell our blocks of land very, very quickly to be able to move on. No one knows how important it is to be aware that the market could change at any time. I think that that's a big part of why I ongoingly educate people because I know that my growth from when I was 21 to when I was 27 was a really huge curve and, and I was able to get investors. Once I knew how to get investors, and I can find deals, then, then you know, the world's your oyster. You just keep combining investors with capital and investors, so capital with deals. And then you just keep buying and buying and buying because every, if every deal is profitable, so to speak, um, then um, you can get in and get out and get paid and it just um, becomes its own monster uh, and, and accumulates. The, the, the challenge is that, you know, if you think that you're bulletproof and you don't have a defence mechanism or you don't have a uh, backup plan, then you're, you're basically arrogant and naive enough to think that you're bulletproof, and, and that's when the trouble happens. You start spending recklessly, you start making, you just buy everything you can, and, and not being um, considerate about, okay, what if it doesn't work out? How do you get out of this if the market changes? What if interest rates go up, and what if the market drops by five to ten percent? So, um, you know, if you're looking at places like Sydney and Melbourne, in particular example, you know, as an example. If if you're just gung ho and you're expecting to make the 30 to 40 percent profits that you have in the last few years, um, yeah, then then you're basically exposed, um, and and then you're in trouble. He believes a real estate investor understands how the market rises and falls, and doesn't just expect it to always rise. And that's why we suggest a handful of things. Is one is you make your money when you buy, so buying under market value when you get in, and also. Um, yeah, get in, get out, get paid. So it's a velocity of money. When when you get out, you reduce you re- reduce your debt, you reduce your risk and exposure in, in the marketplace. And people, you know, especially in Sydney, I know there was a and Melbourne, there was a huge arrogance around well, buy and hold. We're making 50, 80, 100 grand a year just by sitting on it. But they they weren't around when I was around in 2007. Um, for example, in Bondi, where people couldn't give away blocks of apartments. You know, people just wouldn't, weren't wanting to buy them at all. And, and now, you know, roughly 12 years later, the, the market has come again, back again to correct itself and it'll go up again for sure. But, you know, at times it's like the sun goes up and the sun sets, um, the tide comes in, the tide goes out. So, um, yeah, people just have too short a view on, on life uh, and, and the marketplace because essentially a lot of them that play during the times of the market goes up are gamblers. They're not investors. They're, they're not um, they're long-term players. They, they speculate and they jump on board because everybody's playing the game. 
Aside from just property education, Nguyen believes personal skills and personal development is really important for doing well in this business. I've done a lot of personal development training um, and one of the courses I do suggest people do is what's called um, Landmark Forum. Um, that, you know, they do courses in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. I don't get any you know, kickbacks or affiliate fees for recommending them um, but it's a really great personal development course that I think um, has allowed me to look at a lot of my blind spots. I know a lot of the, the guys um, from Tony Robbins also go to Landmark Forum to be able to deal with the things that hold them back. Um, I think some people, when they go to learn about property, uh, they go and wanting to learn about the strategy, which I believe is important. However, I believe the more important thing is, is learning about themselves and personal development and, and the balance between the two, which is technical skills and, and personal skills. Um, really allows you to become a much better investor because you're aware of yourself, uh, not just about sitting behind a computer with a spreadsheet, excuse me, because you, you've got to be able to negotiate with people. Property is a people skills game, people business. Um, I, I do a lot of negotiating with property owners directly. And, and so you need to be able to, one, have people skills and, and two, um, personal development and be able to, to deal with things when you're not winning or not getting your way or things are going too slow and, and things are breaking down. So um, I, I, to answer your question is that uh, my aha moments came to me when I was resolving a lot of my personal issues and it made a huge difference in my wealth creation and, and my businesses because I was much happier, I was less uh, arrogant. I was able to be able to uh, communicate better with people um, because my personal skills were a lot better and then it actually yeah, added to my bottom line as opposed to most people think, you know, you read more books, go to more seminars, get more education to be able to um, make increase your wealth. It's not necessarily the case. Nguyen believes with one weekend, you can learn a whole range of skills that you can apply to business and your personal life. It's a three-day event, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's only about $800, very, very cheap, yeah. che cheap as chips. And yep. um, even though it doesn't necessarily focus on wealth creation, like I said, you, you go in there and, and you have to resolve a lot of stuff. You don't even know that's holding you back. And some people deal with personal stuff. Some people deal with business stuff. Some people deal with you know, parents, siblings, past relationships. You know, it's, it's a whole plethora of things. And um, you know, my wife and, and a lot of my clients have done it. Um, I think, yeah, Ross Williams, as you mentioned before, has done it as well. A lot of my trainers, I suggest do it because it just allows them, gives them the skills. It's like, you know, someone giving you a screwdriver as a, an apprentice um, or a hammer. You know, this one here is a skill to be able to, um, yeah, improve yourself personally um, that other people um, not don't necessarily are able to, to help you with. It's just self-inflection and self-improvement uh, internally. Join us on a future episode of Property Investory where we continue the conversation with Nan Nguyen and learn about the strategies he's employed in development. Bigger isn't always better because you know, if I multiply my uh, deals, I'd also multiply my negative cash flow and, and also multiply my stresses. The personal habits that allow him to manage his busy life. If people can find a way to meditate, uh, it's really, really important. I think hobbies um, are important as well. As well as words of wisdom he'd give to his younger self. Persistence is the key. You'll always find a solution you, if, as long as you're willing to, to work hard, um, cut down on the alcohol. And that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory.